Hello, I'm Pete Raby, and you are listening to the Leadership Learns podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dennis Pennell, Managing Director of the World Employment Confederation. Listed as one of the top 50 thought leaders and influencers on the future of work, what is the aim and purpose of the World Employment Confederation today? Well, first of all, Peter, thank you for inviting me to be part of this podcast. Indeed, as the Managing Director of the World Employment Confederation, my role is to represent and to defend the interests of the staffing industry worldwide. So I have members from all around the world. We are a membership-based organization. It's the Global Trade Association or Professional Association representing the staffing industry, agency work services, you know, direct recruitment, uh, career management, and so on. And our role is to ensure the uh, long-term slash, you know, sustainable growth of our industry. So in a way, you know, I'm, I'm playing the same role as the REC or uh, APSCO does in the UK, uh, that the American Staffing Association does in the US and so on. So it's the same role and same purpose, but at the global level. And what staffing patterns are you seeing? We're in a pit. We're talking in February 2023, as it stands. Things, are, from my eyes, fairly continually surprising when we saw that the U.S. jobs market grew by half a million last month, and much debate and discussion in the U.K. of our economy of how things have been really up and down, and in so many ways. From your vantage point, how would you describe the world position currently? Well, you know, as you know, everybody's expecting an economic downturn, even not to use the word recession. For the time being, we don't see anything, you know, uh, like this, which is good news, of course, for the business world and for the world of work. So now we are talking about, you know, possibility of a jobful recession. Well, we still don't see the recession. Clearly, there is a slowing down of the economic path and development, but clearly no recession. But the, the reality and the uh, certainty we are facing is all about labor shortages and talent scarcity. This is still what you know our, our members are struggling with. This is what the user companies are indeed facing, you know, the difficulty to hiring and, and to recruiting, you know, the right talent at the right place. So our, our assessment is that this is going to continue, despite the fact that we might have an economic uh, downturn. The, the talent scarcity will remain as a key priority for many uh, CEOs. I've just seen the, the latest, you know, conference board, you know, CEO um, confidence survey. This is on top of their five priorities. You know, they, this is what keep them awake at night. You know, how to make sure they have access and they can secure, you know, access to the right talent and to retain their talent. Absolutely. I mean, we've been doing this podcast now for a couple of years and spoke to both startups and some of the uh, biggest businesses in the world from primarily the technology and life sciences sectors. The one thing that we can always relate with our clients about is the fact that, as you've just correctly said, finding good people is always a really challenging thing. And we're based in London. We're based in New York. We're soon to be based in Denver and Colorado too. But I know that one of the biggest challenges that we face is to find human beings with the right values and the right level of talent to be able to take us where we want to get to. But I also know that's extremely similar to the clients that we work with. You know, you come at it from a, a workforce management and access to talent perspective. It'd be really interesting to, to hear some of the key findings from the books that you've created as well, Dennis. But ultimately, there should be things that will be able to be learned from one sector to another. Are you seeing great innovation and great opportunity in what the staffing industry has been doing to be able to try and bridge that staff shortage? 
Yeah, well, on the one hand, you know, we are very much using the new IT tools being made available to us. Now we are talking about artificial intelligence, but this is also, you know, platform work. All these different tools are definitely, you know, easing the way the matching is being done between the supply and the demand of work. So it reduces the frictions in the labor market. But at the end of the day, you still see that, you know, the human factor in our industry is essential. You know, the the automatic, you know, uh, uh, matching between a candidate and the company does not work. You still have to have this, you know, human face and, and, and this human touch, you know, being part of the uh, of the process. So that's why we like to, to say that this industry has to go, you know, tech and touch. Huh? Clearly, you need these new tools, you know, to speed up the process of the matching. But at the end of the day, you still need this uh, this human dimension. Huh? We are a people business. We are there to recruit, we uh, source uh, people, replace people. And, and this has to be done that way. So the human being, you know, dimension of work remains, you know, essential. And then for companies, you know, navigating this, you know, very complex and, and uncertain world of work, clearly this is also a key role played by the staffing industry or the employment and recruitment industry, if you prefer to call it that way. This is the fact that we are there to simplify the complexity of the world of work and the world of business. You know, uh, you know, we, we used to describe the, uh, the economic environment being a VUCA environment, you know, volatile, predictable, complex, and vigorous. I'm afraid the reality is even more complex and difficult today. Uh, we have moved actually from a VUCA word to a BANI word. I don't know if you've heard this uh, acronym. Uh, BANI stands for, you know, brittle, anxious, nonlinear, incomprehensible environment. So, you know, we should enjoy that yesterday was about the VUCA word because today is even more complex and difficult. But this is exactly the role of our industry, of the staffing industry. This is to simplify this complexity. This is to provide, you know, tailor-made solutions to user companies, but also to candidates because the world of work has become, yeah, more complex, hybrid, you know, uncertain, uh, with very different expectations nowadays. So we need to tackle this need for diversity in terms of expectations from the candidates, but also diversity in terms of needs from the, from the user companies. And we need to make sure that there is a good match between these different needs and expectations, which is not the case for the time being. And this is why you, you've heard, like many of your listeners, you know, about the, the great resignation or the quiet quitting. That's true. That's a reality. But this is only the... Uh, the top of the iceberg, you need to understand why those situations and those phenomena are taking place. And this is because what I call from my side, the great mismatch. There is currently a mismatch between the expectations, the new expectations from the workers, from the candidates, and the reality of the work they experience on a day-to-day basis. And nowadays, you know, people are expecting, you know, autonomy at work. They're expecting flexibility in the way they work. So they want to be able to work, you know, flexible hours, to work remotely. And then when they go to, to work and even not saying to the office, but when they go to work, they, they don't have answers or, or solutions to all these new expectations. And this is creating a mismatch indeed between what people are now expecting when it comes to work and the reality of what they leave. And this is where, you know, employers have to, to look at this mismatch if they want to, once again, to attract, you know, the best talent and to keep the best talent. How do companies then best avoid falling into these traps? Because what employers are asked for now is so different from 20 years ago, let alone 30 years ago. So how do companies make sure that they 
aren't just appealing to the right people, but also get the right people in with the right expectations? Yeah, well, I, I would say probably the, the the answer is very simple. You know, it's just show respect and attention to your to your people, to your workers. You know, clearly the shift has gone now to the to the people. Right? It's power to the people nowadays. You know, we are in labor markets. You know that are being you know characterized by shortages of labor, scarcity of talent. So we are in a candidate-driven labor market nowadays. And again, some people are saying, yeah, but the recession will come, you know, and the economic downturn will actually turn the market back to the, uh, to the employer side. I don't believe at all into this, uh, this trend. As I said, it will probably remain. If we are to face a recession, we will still be in a jobful recession, you know. So there will still be shortages of labor because, again, there is new expectation from the world. And nowadays, people are getting much more, much more difficult, you know, uh, indeed accepting a new job because the new job has to adapt to their life and to their personality and to their style of living, you know. In the past, especially prior to the COVID, it was up to the people to adapt to a work situation. Nowadays, people are expecting work to adapt to their own, you know, constraints, choices, or, or, or lifestyle once again. And work has become a lifestyle. So that means that if you have, you know, 10 people within your team, you will have 10 different lifestyles, you know, 10 different types of expectations, and you cannot apply the same, you know, one-size-fits-all approach to your uh, workforce management. So this is once again making, you know, life much more complicated for the employers, but that's a reality. If you don't agree to go into that direction, this is where you will have still difficulties to recruit the best talents. So you have to adapt from an employer's point of view. I really believe that there's different things that industries can learn from each other. And I was looking forward to the conversation today because I think that your perspective and, and, and remit as it is, there are without a doubt things that people in the life sciences and technology spaces are going to be able to listen and think, oh, yeah, that's a, an interesting thought provoker. Now, you'll be able to see and know that there are some of the biggest players in the staffing and recruitment space in the world are doing some things extremely well. Some might diversify and have a real wide portfolio of different statements of work business alongside a core contingent business, alongside executive search, whatever it may be. But one of the things that I know that you would have seen, Dennis, is that there's some of these businesses go about scaling and hiring and retaining people in the right way. Are there some obvious examples of where there's certain things that the recruitment sector does do very well that other industries could learn from? Yeah, well, I think anything in, in relation to training, uh, this is really a, a key asset. We know we, we are also in, in transitioning economies, you know, we have to move toward a greener economy and so on. So clearly, skilling, upskilling, reskilling will be, you know, a, a must. We will need to help people to adjust to the new, you know, labor, labor, the economy. Uh, uh, so clearly, this is something that our industry has been developing over the last, you know, decades. And, and the specificity of the training we are, you know, delivering is that all of the schemes we are, you know, engineering are demand driven. This is because we know exactly what the user companies are looking for, what type of skills or, or professions or qualifications that we can train people. And at the end of the day, they will get a job because the training has been developed, you know, uh, at the forefront with the, with the aim of, uh, of answering, you know, a, a need. So that's one. And then I think also what companies need to have a look at nowadays that they cannot offer once again a one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to the labor contractual arrangement. Uh, in, a, in a world of work that has never been so diverse, 
you need a diverse range of solutions. And these solutions in terms of workforce management can be about yeah, agency work. You know, it can be about recruiting a direct fixed term contract. It can be offering a permanent contract. It can be, you know, uh, putting place an apprenticeship contract. You need to have the full range of labor contractual arrangement options to secure, you know, again, access to, to, to the talent. So you have also to adapt now your workforce policy and, and your recruitment policy to, to the needs, once again, and the expectations from the worker side. So my, my recommendation would be really nowadays to start from the worker's point of view. And again, things are getting difficult because you have as many different views as you have different people, of course. So people have different expectations, depending on where they stand regarding, you know, their life cycle, whether they are a parent, not a parent, they are single, they are married, they, they work in the, uh, in the digital industry versus they work in the industrial or the manufacturing sector. So very different needs and expectations. But this is the starting point for you as a company if you want to recruit the right person. And on top of that, to make things even more complicated, people also tend more and more to consume work the same way they consume goods and services, you know? So they want to be able to choose. They want to be able to decide when they work, with whom they work, you know, on what they are going to work. And if they are not happy, they are going to leave the, uh, to leave the company to go for another, you know, uh, product in a way. Uh, so this consumerization of work for me is a very important trend. This has, this was already there before the COVID, but like many trends, the COVID has accelerated and intensified those new trends. But that's a reality now in the world of work. Eh? This on-demand, you know, economy has translated into on-demand work. From a from a leadership perspective in these economic times, we spoke a few minutes ago in relation to, wow, it's a downturn, not a recession. There's kind of like mixed numbers coming from the US and everyone maybe appreciates that it's going one way. But I've seen a few economic cycles now. We started our careers in 2000, 2003, 2004 after the 9-11 and dot-com bubble burst and have seen a few cycles already from that. I was reading a fascinating thing in the FT at the, at the weekend where this is the first time within 10 years that we've ever seen this like two potential downturns within that within that kind of period of time. Looking at your background, coming from big business, coming from big consultancy, um, of how you've seen that the best companies react and think, and the questions that they ask themselves pre downturns in uncertain economic times. I wonder if you if there's trends that you see some do really well, and others that you think, wow, you guys really um, you, you didn't handle that as well as you could have done. I will start with probably some some worst practices. You know what we are seeing now in the in the Silicon Valley. You know those digital companies. You know firing you know thousands of people just because the business model doesn't seem to be to be as good as as they would have expected. You know, first of all, what's the image they are sending to the world of work? You know, I'm not sure this is the, the right one. And again, we know the economic cycles are becoming more and more you know rapid and and and. You know, there's changing ups and downs, you know, more and more. So if you're, if you're sacking, you know, thousands of people and then within the next six months or one year, you need to recruit those people, you know, you do not show and demonstrate, you know, loyalty to the workers. What we have seen actually during the, the COVID crisis that many companies, you know, refused to fire people and they prefer to put them on, on, you know, short-term, you know, uh, working schemes or, or furlough schemes, as you say, in the UK, you know. So keeping the people, putting them, yes, on less hours, you know, but not dismissing the people. And that's a way to build a relationship, to build a trust, 
between your employees and yourself, you know, and building a long-term, you know, relationship with your people. I mean, you cannot treat people like, I don't know, so, so some pieces of furniture whatsoever. You don't want them any longer. You just, you know, uh, get rid of them. No, you, you need to build a relationship. And indeed, this is what we have seen, that the people that have kept, you know, most of their people during the, 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 the COVID pandemic, actually, they were the first ones to restart very fast because they didn't lose the skills. They didn't lose the, uh, the expertise and they didn't lose the trust and the confidence of those people into the company they work for. So that would be really, for me, an advice to those companies. As much as you can, obviously, uh, don't dismiss the people that you you know probably that within the next six months or one year or 12 months, you will need again to recruit, you know. Try to train them, to use this opportunity to train them, to develop their skills. You can put them on some, you know, uh, short-term working schemes, furrowed schemes, but don't don't get rid of them. You know, this is not good for the image of your of your company, and this is not good for the relationship with those workers. One of the other questions I was really looking forward to asking you because uh, I, I know we were both at the um, the SIA, the Staffing Industry Analyst Conference in London. Looking forward to going to Miami as well in a, in a few weeks' time to uh, experience uh, that for the first time. But some of the data was really, really interesting. Of course, there's automation-related conversation and some of the platforms that are coming out are really coming out at a, a, a thick rate of knots now. If you, Dennis, had to start a business today completely from scratch, what would it be and why? <laughs> Well, on the one hand, I think that nowadays it has never been so easy to create a new business. You know, that's something we need to realize. You know, thanks to digitalization, thanks to, to remote working options that are available, you know, accessing a new market, accessing customers has never been so easy. You know, now you see, you know, teenagers, you know, creating their own business on uh, via the website, you know, I don't know, selling, you know, uh, handmade jewelry whatsoever, you know. Now you can be a teenager and already being an entrepreneur. I think this is great. And again, we have never seen that in the past. Huh? Creating your own business has never been so easy. So I would say probably the, the, the sky is the limit. Mm-hmm. And of course, you need to beat on your expertise. So probably, you know, looking at my own experience, I've been in this industry for the last 25 years. If I had to create something that would be, you know, HR related, that, that, yeah. would, be, that would be one, or it could be recruitment. I, I do feel that nowadays, you know, the recruitment industry has been very much, you know, B2B service, you know, uh, professional services, indeed. Huh? The, the, the ones, you know, paying the invoice at the end of the day are, are the user companies, the, 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 the employers looking for, uh, well, to recruit somebody. I think this industry has to keep this dimension very important, but also has to move towards a more B2C, you know, a service. So also taking care of the, of the candidate, of the job seeker, once again, because we are in a talent scarcity environment, but even more, I think, you know, the, the human dimension of work is there to remain. Uh, we are dealing, we are in a uh, people industry because of the difficulty to, to recruit, the, taking care of the, the, the personality, the singularity of the candidate will become more and more important. So this is probably where I would focus uh, the attention in terms of business development. It's not the easiest path, once again, but that's where I think you can make a difference. Huh? Showing you know respect, attention to the singularity, to the individuality of the job seekers. I think um, you might have answered this already. And one of the questions I was going to ask at the end was if if there was one learn or question you'd want our listeners to take away, what would it be? It sounds like to me from what you said so far that actually 
making sure that you've got a employing kind of candidate centric onboarding hiring policy culture that sits with yeah. the kind of broadest base of the people that you want would, would there be anything on top of that Dennis or is that is what is that what you think that leaders looking to hire and retain the best talent should be thinking about no no I fully agree and if you remember this is exactly was exactly my main message during the SIA event in, in London you know last December be human, remain a human person dealing with human beings, you know? And you're true, you mentioned earlier, you know, the automation of work, you know, the impact of uh, digitalization and so on. So the tech part of work is becoming more important. And, and again, there is nothing we can go against. So we have to, uh, to take stock of that. But it doesn't mean that we should lose the human dimension of work. You know, at the end of the day, we are all human beings, you know, going at work. If we want, you know, these those human beings to have, you know, high energy, to be highly committed, you know, and, and to be engaged, yeah, you cannot move away or, or get rid of this human dimension. This is essential to our work. Dennis, I know that you mentioned that out of the books you've written, there was definitely one that got translated into English. Just, uh, just, just remind the listeners what what that book is and, and what the basis of its findings were. Yeah, well, the, the, the title is The Ego Revolution at Work. And this is really about, you know, being me, myself and I, you know, at work. Uh, meaning that once again, if as a company you want to recruit and to secure access to the best talent, you need to take into consideration the singularity of the people. Uh, uh, you, you cannot treat any longer your workforce as a one-size-fits-all approach, you know. Uh, that's not possible. So, yeah, it's all about, you know, respecting and taking into account uh, yeah once again the, the specificity of every uh, one of your of your employees and Dennis final question uh, I think it's always a fascinating one because I've got such an array of different answers in this but has there been a best book podcast or movie that you'd recommend that you've taken some long-lasting learns from well, you know, this is well, maybe a, a bit of an obvious one, but I mean, uh, I've been watching again The Office, you know, the TV series. I think that's the best, uh, you know, experience of what you should not be doing at work, you know, as uh, how, how terrible a manager can be. And again, what you should not be put in place or apply with your employees. So watch it again. It's really worth it. First of all, it's a good, uh, it's a good laugh, you know, usually, but it's, yeah. it's really, you know, a, a very good description of what the world of work and the office should not be, you know. Now, I'm a huge fan of the UK one. I'm a very big fan of the US one also. Are you talking about one of those or is there a, an excellent French version, Dennis, that I don't know about yet? No, no, I think I'm making reference to the, to the US one. I was not aware of the, the UK one. So we'll, uh, we'll have a look. Uh, yeah. That's the original, and some would okay. argue, myself included, probably the best. Very, very dry humour. Uh, and I've had a German friend of mine also say that there's an excellent German version out. So, um, <laughs> okay, yeah, it's, it, it's I'm not aware awesome. of the French version yet. So I will, I will check, but I don't think uh, yeah, it exists yet. <laughs> Good man. Well, Dennis, thank you so much for being part of our strategy sessions today. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot that will be resonating with listeners and like we, they'll be taking some valuable ideas away. Uh, thank you everyone for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please give a five-star rating and share with others in your network. Dennis, thank you very much for coming on again. No, thanks to you. My pleasure. I really enjoyed the discussion. Thank you.